Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and if you're wondering how to manage your hyperthyroid symptoms through natural agents such as bugleweed, motherwort, and L-carnitine, then this episode is for you. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Kosansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, make sure to subscribe on your podcast player. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast. So in the last episode, I discussed conventional symptom management options for hyperthyroidism, such as antithyroid medication, beta blockers. I also mentioned low-dose naltrexone and cholestyramine. And in this episode, I will discuss natural symptom management options, uh, including herbs, bugleweed, motherwort, and other natural agents, L-carnitine, lithium. So let's go ahead and get rolling. We're going to start with my very favorite herb for managing the symptoms of hyperthyroidism, which is bugleweed. So bugleweed is, again, an herb that has antithyroid properties as it reduces the thyroid hormone levels. So Lycopus virginicus and Lycopus europius are the two main species. And most of the research studies involving bugleweed, which I've come across, have involved Lycopus europius. So these studies show that bugleweed is effective in mild forms of hyperthyroidism, although in my clinical experience, I've had patients with moderate to severe forms respond. On the other hand, for some people, this isn't potent enough, and in these cases, taking antithyroid medication may be necessary. So again, you can't always go by the severity of hyperthyroidism, but there are some people that take bugleweed. They might even have a mild case of hyperthyroidism, and for some reason it doesn't work, yet there are some people with moderate to severe cases of hyperthyroidism where bugleweed does work. So according to master herbalist Kerry Bone, two to six milliliters of a one to two liquid extract should be used. Although I must say that I have used higher doses than this on some patients. And then 6 to 18 milliliters per day of a 1 to 5 tincture is recommended by Kerry Bone. So let's talk about motherwort. Motherwort is also an herb, and this is more specific for the cardiac symptoms. So again, bugleweed is actually helping with the thyroid hormone levels. Motherwort, think of it as more of a natural beta blocker. And so it can help to reduce the heart palpitations, decrease the heart rate, and also has antiarrhythmic activity. Motherwort can be beneficial for other conditions such as digestive disorders, bronchial asthma, amenorrhea, and even externally in wounds and skin inflammation. Pharmacological studies have confirmed its antibacterial, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and analgesic activity. And according to Kerry Bone, 2 to 4 milliliters of a 1 to 2 liquid extract should be used Although, once again, I have used higher doses of this in some patients. And if you're using a 1 to 5 tincture, then 6 to 12 milliliters should be used by most people, once again, according to Kerry Bone. 
Let's go ahead and talk about Hawthorne. So I, although I usually recommend motherwort to help manage the cardiac symptoms associated with hyperthyroidism, uh, which again, the elevated resting heart rate as well as the palpitations, but there are times when I'll recommend Hawthorne. So this can also be helpful in those people with cardiac arrhythmias. And then Hawthorne also has anti-inflammatory, gastroprotective, free radical scavenging, and antimicrobial activity. And so with regards to its antimicrobial activity, Hawthorne, at least according to the research, it seems to be most effective against gram-positive bacteria, and it doesn't have any effect on Candida albicans, at least in the research that I've seen. And regarding dosing, according to Kerry Bone, he recommends three to seven milliliters of a one to two liquid extract. And if someone is taking a one to five ratio, then nine to 20 milliliters should be used. All right, so how about lemon balm? So lemon balm has mild antithyroid activity as it may block the binding of TSH to its receptor by acting both on the hormone and receptor itself. And it might also inhibit the TSH receptor antibodies binding to the TSH receptors, which is pretty cool. Lemon balm also has been used as a mild sedative, spasmolytic, and antibacterial agent, and it might even have anti-tumor activities. And I also came across a few studies which showed that lemon balm has inhibitory activity on the herpes simplex virus. And then another study showed that lemon balm can decrease elevated liver enzymes due to, due to its strong antioxidant properties and phenolic compounds. And another study conducted on mice showed that lemon balm has anti-diabetic effects. And as far as dosing, so carry bone does not give dosing or I have not seen dosing for lemon balm. And, and usually I'll just, in this case, usually I'll just give what the bottle recommends, like the dosing on the, on the label when it comes to, to lemon balm. So with bugleweed, I'll be more specific. I'll look at the patient's thyroid hormone levels and presentation and also with motherwort, it depends on the person. So lemon balm, uh, yeah, I'm not as specific with the dosing when it comes to lemon balm. And usually in most cases, I, I will have people take that in the evening. I, I use it more for its calming effects rather than, I find bugleweed just does a much better job when it comes to its antithyroid properties. And speaking of antithyroid properties, there's also L-carnitine. So carnitine is a nitrogen containing compound that is necessary for the transport of long chain fatty acids into the mitochondria for oxidation. L-carnitine is the mirror image of carnitine, and it's the form that is typically taken in supplements. So L-carnitine can help to lower thyroid hormone levels, but it has to be taken in higher doses. Studies show that 2,000 to 4,000 milligrams a day, or 2 to 4 grams per day of L-carnitine has antithyroid properties. So when I give that to my patients, that's typically what I'll recommend. And then some people will bring up acetyl L-carnitine. The research doesn't show acetyl L acetyl L carnitine is when you have an acetyl group attached to L carnitine. And it's not gonna hurt in most cases to take acetyl L carnitine. Acetyl L carnitine, I'll usually give if someone does have to have a fatty acid oxidation problem or could help in some cases a brain fog. But for the purpose of lowering thyroid hormone levels, I can't say I usually give acetyl L-carnitine, but some people say that they rotate, like they'll take both regular L-carnitine and acetyl L-carnitine, and that seems to work better for them. So of course, you could experiment if you'd like. And I must add that when I was dealing with Graves' disease, I did not take L-carnitine. So I, I took bugleweed and I took motherwort. I started with bugleweed. And that did help a lot, but I was still experiencing some heart palpitations after a few weeks. So I then added motherwort, but I did not 
take L-carnitine and I also did not take lemon balm. So let's talk about lithium next. And I also did not take lithium, but lithium can affect the production of thyroid hormone in multiple ways. First of all, lithium inhibits iodine uptake and iodine is important for the formation of thyroid hormone. It also inhibits iodotyrosine coupling, alters thyroid globulin structure, inhibits thyroid hormone secretion. Uh, Lithium also can decrease the conversion of T4 to T3. And so lithium carbonate versus lithium orotate. So lithium carbonate is typically given by prescription and uh, not for hyperthyroidism. It's usually given in the past and maybe still currently sometimes uh, cases of depression. Uh, And they found that it commonly causes hypothyroidism. But from a natural standpoint for hyperthyroidism, most practitioners who recommend lithium will recommend lithium orotate to their patients. Then there's potassium iodide, which is controversial. When it comes to iodine, some people will wonder why in the heck would someone with hyperthyroidism take iodine? And I'm not, I'm not recommending potassium iodide, so just keep that in mind. I'm not saying people should take really any of these. I'm not saying people should take. I'm just giving different options. And there is some research to back up that potassium iodide can help with hyperthyroidism, even though iodine is important for the formation of thyroid hormone. But high doses of potassium iodide, again, may inhibit thyroid hormone production. And there was a study that involved potassium iodine. Now, it was combined or potassium iodide combined with anti-thyroid medication. And that study showed that at least in combination, that potassium iodide and antithyroid medication combined did a better job than antithyroid medication alone of lowering thyroid hormone levels. And in the past, iodine, potassium iodide, Lugol solution was commonly used as a treatment to help lower, again, not it's not addressing like the root cause if someone has Graves' disease, for example, but as a symptom management option, it was used in the past. However, not everybody does well with iodine, including potassium iodide. So when it comes to risk versus benefits, I'd be very cautious uh, about, and this is coming from someone who actually took in the past, I've taken potassium iodide, I've taken different types of iodine. I've had positive benefits in the past, but I've seen people who didn't have positive experiences and in some cases make their condition worse So you want to be cautious if you decide to do this, but I'm just bringing this up as an option, you know, because again, it could potentially sometimes induce hyperthyroidism. So sometimes it can cause hyperthyroidism or exacerbate hyperthyroidism if someone is currently experiencing hyperthyroidism. And there's also some risk of it triggering autoimmunity or perhaps just exacerbating the autoimmune response. I've had a few non-patients Fortunately, non-patients, but either way, it's not not good. A few non-patients, uh, we get emails all the time from people who aren't patients, and there were a few people who mentioned that they took iodine and it made that thyroid eye disease worse. So that's uh, and thyroid eye disease. We'll be talking about thyroid eye disease in future podcast episodes, but like Graves, it's an immune system condition. The immune system attacks the tissues of the eyes. So definitely be cautious with really any of these, but especially potassium iodide. And then also I should mention that there's a practitioner who used Lugol's iodine and also lithium and found, and and I think the practitioner mentioned how using this got the people in remission. But just again, keep in mind that it's not addressing the triggers and underlying cause, just like 
a lot of people who are on methimazole will be told that they're in remission, but the state of remission is usually temporary because the cause of the condition wasn't addressed. So even though this episode is focusing on natural agents, now that I've covered both the conventional symptom management options and the natural symptom management options, I just want to bring up and discuss when should you consider taking medication? Because some people who, after watching these two presentations, might say, hey, these natural agents are for me and I'm going to stop taking medication. I'm definitely not suggesting that you do that. Everything comes down to risk versus benefit. So I will say that I have a lot of patients that take antithyroid medication, even though I personally did not take antithyroid medication. I would have taken antithyroid medication if the bugle didn't work. You got to keep in mind that sometimes the natural agents don't work well. So if someone is taking antithyroid medication and they're not experiencing side effects, in that case, you might want to just stick with the antithyroid medication. Ultimately, it's up to you. But don't feel bad if you're taking antithyroid medication. Bugleweed and these natural agents I just mentioned for symptom management are also not addressing the cause of the problem. They're just doing things in a more natural way. So if someone has overt hyperthyroidism, you definitely want to do something. So if you have elevated thyroid hormone levels, then uh, it's important to either take something like antithyroid medication or an herb such as bugleweed or or L-carnitine in larger doses. On the other hand, if someone has subclinical hyperthyroidism where their TSH is depressed, but their thyroid hormone levels are looking okay, they're not elevated, then they might not need antithyroid medication and they also might not need bugleweed. It depends on the situation. Now, keep in mind that some people, when they take the antithyroid medication or even the bugleweed, they might, after a little bit, their TSH might still be depressed, but that thyroid hormone levels look okay, and that's a subclinical state. But I'm talking about people who have subclinical hyperthyroidism before taking anything. So they haven't taken antithyroid medication or natural agents, and their TSH is depressed, and their thyroid home levels are looking okay. And that these cases, they might not need to take medication or natural agents. And then you might wonder, well, should I take, if I'm leaning towards medication, should I take antithyroid medication, or should I take a beta blocker instead, or should I take both of these? And just remember, even though some beta blockers help to decrease, inhibit that T4 to T3 conversion, they're still not as effective as antithyroid medication when it comes to lowering thyroid hormone levels and elevated thyroid hormone levels can also affect bone density. So if someone's not having side effects, then I think, again, antithyroid medication, it's not necessarily a real bad thing. If someone is experiencing side effects with methimazole or PTU or carbimazole, that's when they might want to look into beta blockers and also the, the natural agents that I discussed during this episode. And then as far as the dosage you should take with medications, that really is up to the prescribing doctor. So if someone, again, if they have a severe case of hyperthyroidism, then the endocrinologist is more likely to prescribe higher doses of, let's say, methimazole or PTU or carbimazole. So it really is up to the prescribing doctor. And you know, if the person becomes hypo, then typically the dosage will be reduced. And that's also why you want to, to make sure you retest when you're on anything really, antithyroid medication or bugleweed, you don't want to wait three to six months before retesting. I would say uh, one to two months, uh, depending on the situation. And then as far as 
how to wean off the medication because people ask me that. So I, I can't tell someone to wean off or to stop taking a medication. But let's say if someone is taking antithyroid medication such as methimazole and they're interested in weaning off of that and taking the bugleweed, again, I can't tell anybody. I'm not advising anybody to stop taking the medication. But what some people will do is they'll take the bugleweed at the same time as the antithyroid medication, maybe not the exact same time. So if they take methimazole first thing in the morning, they might wait an hour or so and take the bugleweed. But then the goal is for the bugleweed to push them more towards the hypothyroid side. And then you can confirm this with a follow-up blood test. And then the prescribing doctor will then reduce the dose of the medication. So ultimately, you'll be eventually just on the bugleweed, that, that's the goal. And then eventually you'll be off the bugleweed. So once again, I was diagnosed with Graves in 2008 and took bugleweed as well as motherwort into 2009. And I have not taken bugleweed or motherwort since 2009. So bugleweed is not permanent either, which is a good thing. You, wouldn't, you shouldn't want to take bugleweed or motherwort or L-carnitine or anything else I mentioned here on a permanent basis. And so as far as the dosing with herbs and, you know, other natural agents I mentioned, so I I gave some suggestions earlier, but the dose does depend on the person as well as the thyroid panel results. And just keep in mind, I only give specific dosing recommendations to my patients just because, again, I work with them one-on-one and look at their blood tests and keep their symptoms in mind as well. So I will say that when I was dealing with Graves' disease, I took a one to two extract of bugleweed as well as a one to two extract of motherwort. And the dose I took in my situation was five milliliters, two times per day of each. And a five milliliters is the same as one teaspoon. But just again, keep in mind that not everyone takes the same dosage. So that doesn't mean that you should go out and get the same bugleweed and take the same dosage. And there are, of course, there are people who are going to self-treat and they'll just go and what what I see people do is they'll get bugleweed and they'll just take what's recommended on the bottle. And, and many of those people will do okay. I'm not saying that most of those people will experience uh, serious side effects, but there is a risk with herbs too. There's a risk with medication, but herbs aren't completely safe as well, which is always why I always recommend working with a natural healthcare practitioner. But of course, I'm going to be biased because I am a natural healthcare practitioner. But hopefully this presentation, this episode provided you with some options if you are thinking about not taking the medication or if you're currently taking the medication and you're thinking about switching again i'm not advising anybody to switch but if you're thinking about natural herbs such as bugleweed motherwort l-carnitine lemon balm i'm really hoping that this episode gave you some insight on how these could really be effective again they're not effective in everyone but in a good amount of people with hyperthyroidism these could be effective and then once again whether or not you take conventional option conventional medications such as antithyroid medication or beta blockers or natural agents such as bugleweed motherwort l-carnitine you still want to address the cause of the problem, want to find triggers, address underlying imbalances. And of course, I will be discussing this in future podcast episodes. I'd like to go ahead and give a brief summary of what I discussed. So remember that bugleweed is an herb that has antithyroid properties, whereas motherwort and hawthorn, they don't lower thyroid hormone levels, but instead they can help with the cardiac symptoms associated with hyperthyroidism. Lemon balm is also an herb, and this has mild antithyroid properties and also has other therapeutic effects. L-carnitine, when taken in higher doses, has antithyroid properties, 
So according to the research, 2,000 to 4,000 milligrams per day. Lithium and potassium iodide can also affect thyroid hormone production. So you might still be wondering, should you take medication or should you go with the natural agents? And this, of course, is ultimately up to you. But just remember that everything comes down to risk versus benefits. And you want to do what is necessary to safely manage your symptoms. And with that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Did you know that it's common for cats to have hyperthyroidism? In fact, Every now and then, someone will ask me if I treat hyperthyroid cats, and I can't say that I've done this in the past. And this is coming from a person who has had a lot of cats. In fact, I currently have three adorable cats. I also have two dogs, but I'll talk about them in a different post-outro segment. Anyway, I really do like cats, but so far I haven't had a cat that has had hyperthyroidism. Speaking of cats, a number of years ago, I was working with a patient who was a veterinarian, and she said that when a cat receives radioactive iodine, the goal is to make the cat euthyroid, which means that the cat will have normal thyroid hormone levels and won't need to take thyroid hormone replacement. But unfortunately, this isn't true with humans, as many who receive radioactive iodine end up taking thyroid hormone. This, of course, isn't the end of the world, but there are other reasons to consider avoiding radioactive iodine, which, of course, I'll discuss in a future episode. But for now, I've got to run so I can chill out with my cats. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver, and it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune-modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.